0: Sundays. Now the winter seemed long. Laura and Mary began to be tired of staying always in the house, especially on Sundays. The time went so slowly. Every Sunday, Mary and Laura were dressed from the skin out in their best clothes with fresh ribbons in their hair. They were very clean because they had their baths on Saturday night. In the summer, they were bathed in water from the spring, but in the wintertime, Pa filled and heaped the wash tub with clean snow, and on the cook stove, it melted to water. Then, close by the warm stove, behind a screen made of a blanket over two chairs, Ma bathed Laura, and then she bathed Mary. Laura was bathed first, because she was littler than Mary. She had to go to bed early on Saturday night, with Charlotte because after she was bathed and put into her clean nightgown, Pa must empty the wash tub and fill it with snow again for Mary's bath. Then after Mary came to bed, Ma had her bath behind the blanket and then Pa had his and they were all clean for Sunday. On Sundays, Mary and Laura must not run or shout or be noisy in their play. Mary could not sew on her nine-patch quilt, and Laura could not knit on the tiny mittens she was making for baby Carrie. They might look quietly at their paper dolls, but they must not make anything new for them. They were not allowed to sew on doll clothes, not even with pins. They must sit quietly and listen while Ma read Bible stories to them, or stories about lions and tigers and white bears from Pa's big green book, the wonders of the animal world. They might look at pictures, and they might hold their rag dolls nicely and talk to them, but there was nothing else they could do. Laura liked best to look at the pictures in the Big Bible with its paper covers. Best of all was the picture of Adam naming the animals. Adam sat on a rock, and all the animals and birds, big and little, were gathered around him, anxiously waiting to be told what kind of animals they were. Adam looked so comfortable. He did not have to be careful to keep his clothes clean because he had no clothes on. He wore only a skin around his middle. Did Adam have good clothes to wear on Sundays, Laura asked Ma. No, said Ma. Poor Adam. All he had to wear was skins. Laura did not pity Adam. She wished she had nothing to wear but skins. One Sunday after supper, she could not bear it any longer. She began to play with Jack, and in a few minutes, she was running and shouting. Pa told her to sit in her chair and be quiet. But when Laura sat down, she began to cry and kick the chair with her heels. I hate Sundays, she said. Pa put down his book. Laura, he said sternly, come here. Her feet dragged as she went, because she knew she deserved a spanking. But when she reached Pa, he looked at her sorrowfully for a moment and then took her on his knee and cuddled her against him. He held out his other arm to Mary and said, I'm going to tell you a story about when Grandpa was a boy. The Story of Grandpa's Sled and the Pig When your grandpa was a boy, Laura, Sunday did not begin on Sunday morning as it does now. It began at sundown on Saturday night then everyone stopped every kind of work or play supper was solemn after supper grandpa's father read aloud a chapter of the bible while everyone sat straight and still in his chair then they all knelt down and their father said a long prayer when he said amen they got up from their knees and each took a candle and went to bed they must go straight to bed with no playing, laughing, or even talking. Sunday morning, they ate a cold breakfast because nothing could be cooked on Sunday. Then they all dressed in their best clothes and walked to church. They walked because hitching up the horses was work and no work could be done on Sunday. They must walk slowly and solemnly, looking straight ahead. They must not joke or laugh or even smile. Grandpa and his two brothers walked ahead, and their father and mother walked behind them. In church, Grandpa and his brothers must sit perfectly still for two long hours and listen to the sermon. They dared not fidget on the hard bench. They dared not swing their feet. They dared not turn their heads to look at the windows or the walls or the ceiling of the church. They must sit perfectly motionless and never for one instant take their eyes from the preacher. When church was over, they walked slowly home. They might talk on the way, but they must not talk loudly, and they must never laugh or smile. At home, they ate a cold dinner, which had been cooked the day before. Then all the long afternoon, they must sit in a row on a bench and study their catechism until at last the sun went down and Sunday was over. Now, Grandpa's home was about halfway down the side of a steep hill. The road went from the top of the hill to the bottom, right past the front door, and in winter, it was the best place for sliding downhill that you can possibly imagine. One week, Grandpa and his two brothers, James and George, were making a new sled. They worked at it every minute of their playtime. It was the best sled they had ever made, and it was so long that all three of them could sit on it one behind the other. They planned to finish it in time to slide downhill Saturday afternoon. For Every Saturday afternoon, they had two or three hours to play. But that week, their father was cutting down trees in the big woods. He was working hard, and he kept the boys working with him. They did all the morning chores by lantern light and were hard at work in the woods when the sun came up. They worked till dark, and then there were the chores to do, and after supper, they had to go to bed, so they could get up early than the next morning. They had no time to work on the sled until Saturday afternoon. Then they worked at it just as fast as they could, but they couldn't get it finished till just as the sun went down, Saturday night. After the sun went down, they could not slide downhill, not even once. That would be breaking the Sabbath. So they put the sled in the shed behind the house to wait until Sunday was over. All the two long hours in church next day, while they kept their feet still and their eyes on the preacher, they were thinking about the sled. At home, while they ate dinner, they couldn't think of anything else. After dinner, their father sat down to read the Bible, and Grandpa and James and George sat as still as mice on their bench with the catechism, but they were thinking about the sled. The sun shone brightly, and the snow was smooth and glittering on the road. They could see it through the window. It was a perfect day for sliding downhill. They looked at their catechism, and they thought about the new sled, and it seemed that Sunday would never end. After a long time, they heard a snore. They looked at their father, and they saw that his head had fallen against the back of his chair, and he was fast asleep. Then James looked at George, and James got up from the bench and tiptoed out of the room through the back door. George looked at Grandpa, and George tiptoed after James. And Grandpa looked fearfully at their father, but on tiptoe he followed George and left their father snoring. They saw their new sled and went quietly up to the top of the hill. They meant to slide down just once. Then they would put the sled away and slip back to the bench and their catechism before their father woke up. James sat in front on the sled, then George, and then Grandpa, because he was the littlest. The sled started, at first slowly, then faster and faster. It was running, flying down the long, steep hill, but the boys dared not shout. They must slide silently past the house without waking their father. There was no sound except the little whir of the runners on the snow and the wind rushing past. Then, just as the sled was swooping toward the house, a big black pig stepped out of the woods. He walked into the middle of the road and stood there. The sled was going so fast it couldn't be stopped. There wasn't time to turn it. The sled went right under the hog and picked him up. With a squeal, he sat down on James, and he kept on squealing, long and loud and shrill. Squeak! Squeak! They flashed by the house, the pigs sitting in front, then James, then George, then Grandpa, and they saw their father standing in the doorway looking at them. They couldn't stop, they couldn't hide, and there was no time to say anything. Down the hill they went, the hog sitting on James and squealing all the way. At the bottom of the hill they stopped. The hog jumped off James and ran away into the woods, still squealing. The boys walked slowly and solemnly up the hill. They put the sled away. They sneaked into the house and slipped quietly to their places on the bench. Their father was reading his Bible. He looked up at them without saying a word. Then he went on reading, and they studied their catechism. But when the sun went down and the Sabbath day was over, their father took them out to the woodshed and tanned their jackets, first James, then George, then Grandpa. So you see, Laura and Mary, Pa said, you may find it hard to be good, but you should be glad that it isn't as hard to be good now as it was when Grandpa was a boy. Did little girls have to be as good as that, Laura asked, and Ma said. It was harder for little girls, because they had to behave like little ladies all the time, not only on Sundays. Little girls could never slide downhill like boys. Little girls had to sit in the house and stitch on samplers. Now run along and let Ma put you to bed, said Pa, and he took his fiddle out of its box laura and mary lay in their trundle bed and listened to the sunday hymns for even the fiddle must not sing the weekday songs on sundays rock of ages cleft for me pa said with the fiddle then he sang shall i be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease where others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas laura began to float away on the music and then she heard a clattering noise and there was Ma by the stove getting breakfast. It was Monday morning, and Sunday would not come again for a whole week. That morning when Pa came in to breakfast, he caught Laura and said he must give her a spanking. First he explained that today was her birthday, and she would not grow properly next year unless she got a spanking. And then he spanked so gently and carefully that it did not hurt a bit. One, two, three... Four, five, six, he counted and spanked slowly. One spank for each year, and at the last, one big spank to grow on. Then Pa gave her a wooden, wooden man he had whittled out of a stick to be company for Charlotte. Ma gave her five little cakes, one for each year that Laura had lived with her Pa. And Mary gave her a new dress for Charlotte. Mary had made the dress herself when Laura thought she was sewing on her patchwork quilt. And that night, for a special birthday treat, Pa played, Pop Goes the Weasel for her. He sat with Laura and Mary, close against his knees while he played. Now watch, he said. Watch, and maybe you can see the weasel pop out this time. Then he sang, A penny for a spool of thread, another for a needle. That's the way the money goes. Laura and Mary bent close, watching they knew now was the time. Pop! said Pa's finger on the string. Goes the weasel, sang the fiddle, plain as plain. But Laura and Mary hadn't seen Pa's finger make the string pop. Oh, please, please do it again, they begged him. Pa's blue eyes laughed, and the fiddle went on while he sang. All around the cobbler's bench, the monkey chased the weasel. The preacher kissed the cobbler's wife. Pop! Goes the weasel. "'They hadn't seen Pa's finger that time either. "'He was so quick they could never catch him. "'So they went laughing to bed "'and lay listening to Pa and the fiddle singing. "'There was an old darky and his name was Uncle Ned, "'and he died long ago, long ago. "'There was no wool on the top of his head "'in the place where the wool ought to grow.' His fingers were as long as the cane in the brake, His eyes they could hardly see, And he had no teeth for to eat the hoe cake, So he had to let the hoe cake be. So hang up the shovel and the hoe, Lay down the fiddle and the bow, There's no more work for old Uncle Ned, For he's gone where the good darkies go. Two Big Bears Then one day Pa said that spring was coming. In the big woods the snow was beginning to thaw. Bits of it dropped from the branches of the trees and made little holes in the softening snow banks below. At noon, all the big icicles along the eaves of the little house quivered and sparkled in the sunshine, and drops of water hung trembling at their tips. Pa said he must go to town to trade the furs of the wild animals he had been trapping all the winter. So one evening, he made a big bundle of them. There were so many furs that when they were packed tightly and tied together, they made a bundle almost as big as Pa. Very early one morning, Pa strapped the bundle of furs on his shoulders and started to walk to town. There were so many furs to carry that he could not take his gun. Ma was worried, but Pa said that by starting before sunup and walking very fast all day, he could get home again before dark. The nearest town was far away. Laura and Mary had never seen a town. They had never seen a store. They had never seen even two houses standing together. But they knew that in a town there were many houses and a store full of candy and calico and other wonderful things, powder and shot and salt and store sugar they knew that pa would trade his furs to the storekeeper for beautiful things from town and all day they were expecting the presents he would bring them when the sun sank low above the treetops and no more drops fell from the tips of the icicles they began to watch eagerly for pa the sun sank out of sight the woods grew dark and he did not come ma started supper and set the table but he did not come it was time to do the chores and still he had not come. Ma said that Laura might come with her while she milked the cow. Laura could carry the lantern. So Laura put on her coat, and Ma buttoned it up, and Laura put her hands into the, her red mittens that hung by a red yarn string around her neck while Ma lighted the candle in the lantern. Laura was proud to be helping Ma with the milking, and she carried the lantern very carefully. Its sides were of tin, with places cut in them for the candlelight to shine through. When Laura walked behind Ma on the path to the barn, the little bits of candlelight from the lantern leaped all around her on the snow. The night was not yet quite dark. The woods were dark, but there was a gray light on the snowy path, and in the sky there were a few faint stars. The stars did not look as warm and bright as the little light that came from the lantern. Laura was surprised to see the dark shape of Suki, the brown cow, standing at the barnyard gate. Ma was surprised, too. It was too early in the spring for Suki to be out in the big woods to eat grass. She lived in the barn, but sometimes on warm days, Pa left the door of her stall open so she could come into the barnyard. Now, Ma and Laura saw her behind the bars, waiting for them. Ma went up to the gate and pushed against it to open it. But it did not open very far, because there was Suki standing against it. Ma said, Suki, get over. She reached across the gate and slapped Suki's shoulder. Just then, one of the dancing little bits of light from the lantern jumped between the bars of the gate, and Laura saw long, shaggy black fur and two little glittering eyes. Suki had thin, short, brown fur. Suki had large, gentle eyes. Ma said, Laura, walk back to the house. So Laura turned around and began to walk toward the house. Ma came behind her. When they had gone part way, Ma snatched her up, lantern and all, and ran. Ma ran with her into the house and slammed the door. Then Laura said, Ma, was it a bear? Yes, Laura, Ma said. It was a bear. Laura began to cry. She hung on to Ma and sobbed. Will he eat Suki? No, Ma said, hugging her. Suki is safe in the barn. Think, Laura, all those big heavy logs in the barn walls and the doors heavy and solid made to keep bears out. No, the bear cannot get in and eat Suki. Laura felt better then. But he could have hurt us, couldn't he? She asked. He didn't hurt us, Ma said. You were a good girl, Laura, to do exactly as I told you and to do it quickly without asking why. Ma was trembling and she began to laugh a little. To think, she said, I've slapped a bear. Then she put supper on the table for Laura and Mary. Pa had not come yet. He didn't come. Laura and Mary were undressed and they said their prayers and snuggled into their trundle bed. Ma sat by the lamp mending one of Pa's shirts. The house seemed cold and still and strange without Pa. Laura listened to the wind in the big woods. All around the house, the wind went crying as though it were lost in the dark and the cold. The wind sounded frightened. Ma finished mending the shirt. Laura saw her fold it slowly and carefully. She smoothed it with her hand. Then she did a thing she had never done before— she went to the door and pulled the leather latch string through its hole in the door so that nobody could get in from outside unless she lifted the latch she came and took carrie all limp and sleeping out of the big bed she saw that laura and mary was still awake and said to them go to sleep girls everything is all right pa will be here in the morning Then she went back to her rocking chair and sat there rocking gently and holding baby carrie in her arms She was sitting up late, waiting for Pa. And Laura and Mary meant to stay awake, too, till he came. But at last, they went to sleep. In the morning, Pa was there. He had brought candy for Laura and Mary and two pieces of pretty calico to make them each a dress. Mary's was a china-blue pattern on a white ground, and Laura's was dark red with little golden-brown dots on it. Ma had calico for a dress, too. It was brown, with a big feathery white pattern all over it. They were all happy because Pa had got such good prices for his furs that he could afford to get them such beautiful presents. The tracks of the big bear were all around the barn, and there were marks of his claws on the walls, but Suki and the horses were safe inside. All that day the sun shone, the snow melted, and little streams of water ran from the icicles, which all the time grew thinner. Before the sun set that night, the bear tracks were only shapeless marks in the wet, soft snow. After supper, Pa took Laura and Mary on his knees and said he had a new story to tell them. The story of Pa and the bear in the way. When I went to town yesterday with the furs, I found it hard walking in the soft snow. It took me a long time to get to town, and other men with furs had come in earlier to do their trading. The storekeeper was busy, and I had to wait until he could look at my furs. Then we had to bargain about the price of each one, and then I had to pick out the things I wanted to take and trade. So it was nearly sundown before I could start home. I started to hurry, but the walking was hard and I was tired, so I had not gone far before night came and I was alone in the big woods without my gun. There were still six miles to walk, and I came along as fast as I could. The night grew darker and darker, and I wished for my gun, because I knew that some of the bears had come out of their winter dens. I had seen their tracks when I went to town in the morning. Bears are hungry and cross at this time of year. You know, they have been sleeping in their dens all winter long with nothing to eat and that makes them thin and angry when they wake up. I did not want to meet one. I hurried along as quick as I could in the dark. By and by, the stars gave a little light. It was still black as pitch, where the woods were thick, but in the open places I could see dimly. I could see the snowy road ahead a little way, and I could see the dark woods standing all around me. I was glad when I came into an open place where the stars gave me this faint light. All the time I was watching, as well as I could, for bears. I was listening for the sounds they make when they go carelessly through the bushes. Then I came again into an open place, and there, right in the middle of my road, I saw a big black bear. He was standing up on his hind legs looking at me. I could see his eyes shine. I could see his pig snout. I could even see one of his claws in the starlight. My scalp prickled, and my hair stood straight up. I stopped in my tracks and stood still. The bear did not move. There he stood, looking at me. I knew it would do no good to try to go around him. He would follow me in the dark woods, where he could see better than I could. I did not want to fight a winter-starred bear in the dark. Oh, how I wished for my gun! I had to pass that bear to get home. I thought that if I could scare him, he might get out of the road and let me go by. So I took a deep breath, and suddenly I shouted with all my might and ran at him, waving my arms. He didn't move. I did not run very far toward him, I tell you. I stopped and looked at him, and he stood looking at me. Then I shouted again. There he stood. I kept on shouting and waving my arms, but he did not budge. Well... It did not do me no good to run away. There were other bears in the woods. I might meet one at any time. I might as well deal with this one as with another. Besides, I was coming home to Ma and you girls. I would never get here if I ran away from everything in the woods that scared me. So at last I looked around and I got a good big club, a solid heavy branch that had been broken from a tree by the weight of snow in the winter. I lifted it up in my hands, and I ran straight at that bear. I swung my club as hard as I could and brought it down, bang, on his head. And there he stood still, for he was nothing but a big, black, burned stump. I had passed it on my way to town that morning. It wasn't a bear at all. I only thought it was a bear because I had been thinking all the time about bears and being afraid I'd meet one. It really wasn't a bear at all, Mary asked. No, Mary, it wasn't a bear at all. There I had been yelling and dancing and waving my arms all by myself in the big woods, trying to scare a stump. Laura said, ours was really a bear, but we were not scared because we thought it was Suki. Pa did not say anything, but he hugged her tighter. Oh, "'That bear might have eaten Ma and me all up,' Laura said, snuggling closer to him. But Ma walked right up to him and slapped him, and he didn't do anything at all. "'Why didn't he do anything?' "'I guess he was too surprised to do anything,' Laura, Pa said. "'I guess he was afraid when the lantern shone in his eyes. "'And when Ma walked up to him and slapped him, he knew she wasn't afraid.' Well, you were brave too, Laura said. Even if it was only a stump, you thought it was a bear. You'd have hit him on the head with a club. If he had been a bear, wouldn't you, Pa? Yes, said Pa, I would. You see, I had to. Then Ma said it was bedtime. She helped Laura and Mary undress and button up their red flannel nightgowns. They knelt down by the trundle bed and said their prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Ma kissed them both and tucked the covers in around them. They lay there a while, looking at Ma's smooth parted hair and her hands busy with sewing in the lamplight. Her needle made little clicking sounds against her thimble and then the thread went softly, swish, through the pretty calico that Pa had traded furs for. Laura looked at Pa, who was greasing his boots. His mustaches and his hair and his long brown beard was silky in the lamplight, and the colors of his plaid jacket were gay. He whistled cheerfully while he worked, and then he sang. The birds were singing in the morning, and the myrtle and the ivy were in bloom, and the sun o'er the hills was dawning T'was then that I laid her in the tomb. It was a warm night. The fire had gone to coals on the hearth and Pa did not build it up. All around the little house in the big woods there were little sounds of falling snow and from the eaves there was a drip, drip of the melting icicles. In just a little while the trees would be putting out their baby leaves all rosy and yellow and pale green and there would be wildflowers and birds in the woods. Then there would be no more stories about the fire at night but all day long Laura and Mary would run and play among the trees, for it would be spring. The Sugar Snow For days the sun shone and the weather was warm. There was no frost on the windows in the mornings. All day the icicles fell one by one from the eaves with soft smashing and crackling sounds in the snowbanks beneath. The trees shook their wet black branches and chunks of snow fell down. When Mary and Laura pressed their noses against the cold windowpane, they could see the drip of water from the eaves and the bare branches of the trees. The snow did not glitter. It looked soft and tired. Under the trees it was pitted where the chunks of snow had fallen, and the banks beside the path were shrinking and settling. Then one day Laura saw a patch of bare ground in the yard. All day it grew bigger, And before night, the whole yard was bare mud. Only the icy path was left and the snowbanks along the path and the fence and beside the woodpile. Can't I go out to play, Ma, Laura asked, and Ma said, May, Laura. May I go out to play, she asked. You may tomorrow, Ma promised. That night, Laura woke up, shivering. The bed covers felt thin and her nose was icy cold. Ma was tucking another quilt over her. Snuggle close to Mary, Ma said, and you'll get warm. In the morning, the house was warm from the stove. But when Laura looked out of the window, she saw that the ground was covered with soft, thick snow. All along the branches of the trees, the snow was piled like feathers. And it lay in mounds along the top of the rail fence and stood up in great white balls on top of the gateposts. Pa came in, shaking the soft snow from his shoulders and stomping it from his boots. It's sugar snow, he said. Laura put her tongue quickly to a little bit of the white snow that lay in a fold of his sleeve. It was nothing but wet on her tongue, like any snow. She was glad that nobody had seen her taste it. Why is it sugar snow, Pa? she asked him. But he said he didn't have time to explain now. He must hurry away. He was going to Grandpa's. Grandpa lived far away in the big woods, where the trees were closer together and larger. Laura stood at the window and watched Pa, big and swift and strong, walking away over the snow. His gun was on his shoulder, his hatchet and powder horn hung at his side, and his tall boots made great tracks in the soft snow. Laura watched him till he was out of sight in the woods. It was late before he came home that night. Ma had already lighted the lamp when he came in. Under one arm, he carried a large package, and in the other hand was a big, covered, wooden bucket. Here, Caroline, he said, handing the package and the bucket to Ma, and then he put the gun on its hooks over the door. If I'd met a bear, he said, I couldn't have shot him without dropping my load. Then he laughed. And if I had dropped that bucket and bundle, I wouldn't have had to shoot him. I would have stood and watched him eat what's in them and lick his chops. Ma unwrapped the package, and there were two hard brown cakes, each as large as a milk pan. She uncovered the bucket, and it was full of dark brown syrup. Here, Laura and Mary Pa said, and he gave them each a little round package out of his pocket. They took off the paper wrappings, and each had a little hard brown cake with beautifully crinkled edges. Bite it, said Pa, and his blue eyes twinkled. Each bit off one little crinkle, and it was sweet. It crumbled in their mouths. It was better even than their Christmas candy. Maple sugar, said Pa. Supper was ready, and Laura and Mary laid the little maple sugar cakes beside their plates while they ate the maple syrup on their bread. After supper, Pa took them on his knees as he sat before for the fire and told them about his day at Grandpa's and the sugar snow. All winter, Pa said, Grandpa has been making wooden buckets and little troughs. He made them of cedar and white ash, for those woods won't give a bad taste to the maple syrup. To make the troughs, he split out little sticks as long as my hand and as big as my two fingers. Near one end, Grandpa cut the stick half through and split one half off. This left him a flat stick with a square piece at one end. Then with a bit, he bored a hole lengthwise through the square part, and with his knife, he whittled the wood till it was only a thin shell around the round hole. The flat part of the stick he hollowed out with his knife till it was a little trough. He made dozens of them, and he made 10 new wooden buckets. He had them all ready when the first warm weather came and the sap began to move in the trees. Then he went into the maple woods and with the bit he bored a hole in each maple tree and he hammered the round end of the little trough into the hole and he set a cedar bucket on the ground under the flat end. The sap, you know, is the blood of a tree. It comes up from the roots when warm weather begins in the spring. And it goes to the very tip of each branch and twig to make the green leaves grow well when the maple sap came to the hole in the tree it ran out of the tree down the little trough and into the bucket oh didn't it hurt the poor tree laura asked no more than it hurts you when you prick your finger and it bleeds said pa every day grandpa put on his boots and his warm coat and his fur cap, and he goes into the snowy woods and gathers the sap. With a barrel on a sled, he drives from tree to tree and empties the sap from the buckets into the barrel. Then he hauls it to a big iron kettle that hangs by a chain from a cross timber between two trees. He empties the sap into the iron kettle. There is a big barn fire under the kettle, and the sap boils, and Grandpa watches it carefully. The fire must be hot enough to keep the sap boiling, but not hot enough to make it boil over. Every few minutes, the sap must be skimmed. Grandpa skims it with a big, long-handled wooden ladle that he made of basswood. When the sap gets too hot, Grandpa lifts ladlefuls of it high in the air and pours it back slowly. This cools the sap a little and keeps it from boiling too fast. When the sap has boiled down just enough he fills the buckets with the syrup. After that, he boils the sap until it grains when he cools it into a saucer. The instant the sap is graining, Grandpa jumps to the fire and rakes it all out beneath the kettle. Then as fast as he can, he ladles the thick syrup into the milk pans that are standing ready. In the pans, the syrup turns to cakes of hard brown maple sugar. So that's why it's a sugar snow, because Grandpa is making sugar, Laura asked. No, Pa said. It's called a sugar snow because a snow this time of year means that men can make more sugar. You see, this little cold spell and the snow will hold back the leafing of the trees, and that makes a longer run of sap. When there's a long run of sap, it means that Grandpa can make enough maple syrup to last all the year, for common every day. When he takes his fur to town, he will not need to trade for much store sugar. He will get only a little store sugar to have on the table when company comes. Grandpa must be glad there's a sugar snow. Laura said. Yes, Pa said. He's very glad. He's going to sugar off again next Monday, and he says we must all come. Pa's blue eyes twinkled. He had been saving the best for the last, and he said to Ma, Hey, Caroline, there'll be a dance. Ma smiled. She looked very happy, and she laid down her mending for a minute. Oh, Charles, she said. Then she went on with her mending, but she kept on smiling. She said, I'll wear my Delane." Ma's Delane dress was beautiful. It was a dark green with a little pattern all over it that looked like ripe strawberries. A dressmaker had made it in the east, in a place where Ma came from, where she married Pa and moved out west to the Big Woods in Wisconsin. Ma had been very fashionable before she married Pa, and a dressmaker had made her clothes. The Delane was kept wrapped in paper and laid away. Laura and Mary had never seen Ma wear it, but she had shown it to them once. She had let them touch the beautiful dark red buttons that buttoned the basque up the front, and she had shown them how neatly the whale bones were put in the seams inside with hundreds of little crisscross stitches. It showed how important a dance was if Ma was going to wear the beautiful Delane dress. Laura and Mary were excited. They bounced up and down on Pa's knees and asked questions about the dance until at last he said, "'Now you girls run along to bed.' "'You'll know all about the dance when you see it. "'I have to put a new string on my fiddle.' "'There were sticky fingers and sweet mouths to be washed. "'There were prayers to be said. "'By the time Laura and Mary were snug in their trundle bed, "'Pa and the fiddle were both singing "'while he kept time with his foot on the floor. "'I'm Captain Jinx of the Horse Marines. "'I feed my horse on corn and beans.' And I often go beyond my means, for I'm Captain Jinx of the horse marines. I'm captain in the army. Dance at Grandpa's Monday morning, everybody got up early, in a hurry to get started to Grandpa's. Pa wanted to be there to help with the work of gathering and boiling the sap. Ma would help Grandma and the aunts make good things to eat for all the people who were coming to the dance. Breakfast was eaten and the dishes washed and the beds made by lamplight. Pa packed his fiddle carefully in its box and put it in the big sled that was already waiting at the gate. The air was cold and frosty and the light was gray when Mary and Laura and Ma with baby Carrie were tucked in snug and warm under the robes on the straw in the bottom of the sled. The horses shook their heads and pranced, making the sleigh bells ring merrily, and away they went on the road through the big woods to Grandpa's. The snow was damp and smooth in the road, so the sled slipped quickly over it, and the big trees seemed to be hurrying by on either side. After a while, there was sunshine in the woods, and the air sparkled. The long streaks of yellow light lay between the shadows of the tree trunks, and the snow was colored faintly pink. All the shadows were thin and blue, and every little curve of snowdrifts and every little track in the snow had a shadow. Pa showed Laura the tracks of the wild creatures in the snow at the sides of the road, the small leaping tracks of cottontail rabbits, the tiny tracks of field mice, and the feather-stitching tracks of snowbirds. There were larger tracks, like dogs' tracks, where foxes had run, and there were the tracks of a deer that had bounced away into the woods. The air was growing warmer already, and Pa said that the snow wouldn't last long. It did not seem long until they were sweeping into the clearing at Grandpa's house, all the sleigh bells jingling. Grandma came to the door and stood there smiling, calling them to come in. She said that Grandpa and Uncle George were already at work out in the maple woods, so Pa went to help them while Laura and Mary and Ma, with baby Carrie in her arms, went into Grandma's house and took off their wraps. Laura loved Grandma's house. It was much larger than their house at home. There was one great big room, and then there was a little room that belonged to Uncle George, and there was another room for the aunts, Aunt Dosia and Aunt Ruby. And then there was the kitchen with a big cook stove. It was fun to run the whole length of the big room, from the large fireplace at one end all the way to Grandma's bed under the window in the other end. The floor was made of wide, thick slabs that Grandpa had hewed from the logs with his axe. The floor was smoothed all over and scrubbed clean and white, and the big bed under the window was soft with feathers. The day seemed very short while Laura and Mary played in the big room, and Ma helped Grandma and the aunts in the kitchen. The men had taken their dinners to the Maple Woods, so for dinner they did not set the table, but ate cold venison sandwiches and drank milk. But for supper, Grandma made hasty pudding. She stood by the stove, sifting the yellow cornmeal with her fingers into a kettle of boiling salted water. She stirred the water all the time with a big wooden spoon and sifted in the meal until the kettle was full of a thick, yellow, bubbling mass. Then she set it on the back of the stove where it would cook slowly. It smelled good. The whole house smelled good, with the sweet and spicy smells from the kitchen, the smell of the hickory logs burning with the clear, bright flames in the fireplace, and the smell of a clove apple beside Grandma's mending basket, on the table. The sunshine came in through the sparkling window panes, and everything was large and spacious and clean. At supper time, Pa and Grandpa came from the woods. Each had on his shoulders a wooden yoke that Grandpa had made. It was cut to fit around their necks in the back and hollowed out to fit over their shoulders. From each end hung a chain with a hook, and on each hook, hung a big wooden bucket full of hot maple syrup. Pa and Grandpa had brought the maple syrup from the big kettle in the woods. They steadied the buckets with their hands, but the weight hung from the yolks on their shoulders. Grandma made room for a huge brass kettle on the stove. Pa and Grandpa poured the syrup into the brass kettle, and it was so large that it held all the syrup from the four big buckets. Then Uncle George came with a smaller bucket of syrup and everybody ate the hot hasty pudding with the maple syrup for supper. Uncle George was home from the army. He wore his blue army coat with the brass buttons and he had bold, merry blue eyes. He was big and broad and he walked with a swagger. Laura looked at him all the time she was eating her hasty pudding because she had heard Pa say to Ma that he was wild. "'George is wild since he came back from the war,' Pa had said, "'shaking his head as if he were sorry, but it couldn't be helped. "'Uncle George had run away to be a drummer boy in the Army "'when he was 14 years old. "'Laura had never seen a wild man before. "'She did not know whether she was afraid of Uncle George or not. "'When supper was over, Uncle George went outside the door "'and blew his Army bugle long and loud. "'It made a lovely ringing sound.' far away through the big woods. The woods were dark and silent and the trees stood still as though they were listening. Then from very far away the sound came back thin and clear and small like a little bugle answering the big one. Listen, Uncle George said, isn't that pretty? Laura looked at him but she did not say anything and when Uncle George stopped blowing the bugle she ran into the house. Ma and Grandma cleared away the dishes and washed them, and swept the hearth, while Aunt Dosia and Aunt Ruby made themselves pretty in their room. Laura sat on their bed and watched them comb at their long hair and part it carefully. They parted it from their foreheads to the napes of their necks, and then they parted it across from ear to ear. They braided their back hair in long braids, and then they did the braids up carefully in big knots. They had washed their hands and faces and scrubbed them well with soap at the wash basin on the bench in the kitchen. They had used store soap, not the slimy, soft, dark brown soap that Grandma made and kept in a big jar to use for common every day. They fussed for a long time with their front hair, holding up the lamp and looking at their hair in the little looking glass that hung on the log wall. They brushed it so smooth on each side of the straight white part that it shone like silk in the lamplight. The little puff on each side shone too, and the ends were coiled and twisted neatly under the big knot in the back. Then they pulled out their beautiful white stockings that they had knit of fine cotton thread in lacy openwork patterns, and they buttoned up their best shoes. They helped each other with their corsets. Aunt Dosia pulled as hard as she could on Aunt Ruby's corset strings, and then Aunt Dosia hung onto the foot of the bed, while Aunt Ruby pulled on hers. Pull, Ruby, pull, Aunt Dosia said, breathless. Pull harder. So Aunt Ruby braced her feet and pulled harder. Aunt Dosia kept measuring her waist with her hands, and at last she gasped. I guess that's the best you can do. She said, Caroline says Charles could span her waist with his hands when they were married. Caroline was Laura's ma, and when she heard this, Laura felt proud. Then, Aunt Ruby and Aunt Docia put on their flannel petticoats and their plain petticoats and their stiff, starched white petticoats with knitted lace all around the flounces, and they put on their beautiful dresses. Aunt Docia's dress was a sprig print, dark blue with sprigs of red flowers and green leaves thick upon it. The basque was buttoned down the front with black buttons, which looked so exactly like juicy, big blackberries, That Laura wanted to taste them. Aunt Ruby's dress was wine-colored calico covered all over with a feathery pattern in lighter wine color. It buttoned with gold-colored buttons, and every button had a little castle and a tree carved on it. Aunt Dosia's pretty white collar was fastened in front with a large round cameo pin, which had a lady's head on it. But Aunt Ruby's pinned her collar with a red rose made of sealing wax. She had made it herself on the head of a darning needle, which had a broken eye, so it couldn't be used as a needle any more. They looked lovely, sailing over the floor so smoothly with their large round skirts. Their little waists rose up tight and slender in the middle, and their cheeks were red and eyes bright under the wings of shining sleek hair. Ma was beautiful, too, in her dark green Delaine, with the little leaves that looked like strawberries scattered over it. The skirt was ruffled and flounced and draped and trimmed with knots of dark green ribbon and nestled at her throat was a gold pin. The pin was flat, as long and as wide as Laura's two biggest fingers, and it was carved all over and scalloped at the edges. Ma looked so rich and fine that Laura was afraid to touch her. People had begun to come they were coming on foot through the snowy woods with their lanterns and they were driving up to the door in sleds and in wagons. Sleigh bells were jingling all the time. The big room filled with tall boots and swishing skirts and ever so many babies were lying in rows on grandma's bed. Uncle James and Aunt Libby had come with their little girl whose name was Laura Ingalls too. The two Lauras leaned on the bed and looked at the babies and the other Laura said her baby was prettier than baby Carrie. She is not either, Laura said. Carrie's the prettiest baby in the whole world. No, she isn't, the other Laura said. Yes, she is. No, she isn't. Ma came sailing over in her fine Elaine and said severely, Laura. So neither Laura said anything more. Uncle George was blowing his bugle. It made a loud ringing sound in the big room and uncle george joked and laughed and danced blowing the bugle then pa took his fiddle out of its box and began to play and all the couples stood in squares on the floor and began to dance when pa called the figures grand right and left pa called out and all the skirts began to swirl and all the boots began to stamp the circles went round and round all the skirts going one way and all the boots going the other way and hands clasping and parting high up in the air. Swing your partners, Pa called, and each gent bow to the lady to the left. They all did as Pa said, Laura watching Ma's skirt swing, and her little waist bending, and her dark head bowing, and she thought Ma was the loveliest dancer in the world. The fiddle was singing Oh, you buffalo gals, aren't you coming out tonight? Aren't you coming out tonight? Aren't you coming out tonight, oh, you buffalo gals? Aren't you coming out tonight to dance by the light of the moon? The little circles and the big circles went round and round, and the skirts swirled and their boots stamped, and partners bowed and separated and met and bowed again. In the kitchen, Grandma was all by herself, stirring the boiling syrup in the big brass kettle. She stirred in time to the music. By the back door was a pail of clean snow, and sometimes... Grandma took a spoonful of syrup from the kettle and poured it on some of the snow in a saucer. Laura watched the dancers again. Parr was playing the Irish washerwoman now. He called, "Dosey ladies, dosey doe. Come down heavy on your heel and toe. Laura could not keep her feet still. Uncle George looked at her and laughed. Then he caught her by the hand and did a little dance with her in the corner. She liked Uncle George. Everybody was laughing over by the kitchen door. They were dragging Grandma in from the kitchen. Grandma's dress was beautiful, too. A dark blue calico with autumn-colored leaves scattered over it. Her cheeks were pink from laughing, and she was shaking her head. The wooden spoon was in her hand. I can't leave the syrup, she said. But Pa began to play, the Arkansas Traveler, and everybody began to clap in time to the music. So Grandma bowed to them all and did a few steps by herself. She could dance as prettily as any of them. The clapping almost drowned the music of Pod's fiddle. Suddenly, Uncle George did a pigeon wing, and bowing low before Grandma, he began to jig. Grandma tossed her spoon to somebody. She put her hands on her hips and faced Uncle George, and everybody shouted, Grandma was jigging. Laura clapped her hands in time to the music, while all the others clapping, too. The fiddle sang as it had never sung before. Grandma's eyes were snapping, and her cheeks were red, and underneath her skirts, her heels were clicking as fast as the stomping of Uncle George's boots. Everybody was excited. Uncle George kept on jigging, and Grandma kept on facing him, jigging, too. The fiddle did not stop. Uncle George began to breathe loudly, and he wiped sweat off his forehead. Grandma's eyes twinkled. You can't beat her, George, somebody shouted. Uncle George jigged faster. He jigged twice as fast as he had been jigging. So did Grandma. Everybody cheered again. All the women were laughing and clapping their hands, and all the men were teasing George. George did not care, but didn't he did not have breath enough to last. He was jigging. Pa's blue eyes were snapping and sparking. He was standing up watching George and Grandma, and the bow danced over the fiddle strings. Laura jumped up and down and squealed and clapped her hands. Grandma kept on jigging. Her hands were on her hips, and her chin was up, and she was smiling. George kept on jigging, but his boots did not thump as loudly as they had thumped at first. Grandma's heels kept on clickety-clacking gaily. A drop of sweat dripped off George's forehead and shone on his cheek. All at once, he threw up both arms and gasped. "'I'm beat!' He stopped jigging. Everybody made a terrific noise, shouting and yelling and stamping, cheering Grandma. Grandma jigged just a little minute more, then she stopped. She laughed and gasped. Her eyes sparkled just like Pa's when he laughed. George was laughing too and wiping his forehead on his sleeve. Suddenly, Grandma stopped laughing. She turned and ran as fast as she could into the kitchen. The fiddle had stopped playing. All the women were talking at once and all the men teasing George, but everybody was still for a moment when Grandma looked like that. Then she came to the door between the kitchen and the big room and said, The syrup is waxing. Come and help yourselves. Then everybody began to talk and laugh again. They all hurried to the kitchen for plates and outdoors to fill the plates with snow. The kitchen door was open and the cold air came in. Outdoors, the stars were frosty in the sky, and the air nipped Laura's cheeks and nose. Her breath was like smoke. She and the other Laura and all the other children scooped up clean snow with their plates. Then they went back into the crowded kitchen. Grandma stood by the brass kettle, and with a big wooden spoon, she poured hot syrup on each plate of snow. It cooled into soft candy, and as fast as it cooled, they ate it. They could eat all they wanted for maple sugar never hurt anybody. There was plenty of syrup in the kettle and plenty of snow outdoors. As soon as they ate one plateful, they filled their plates with snow again, and grandma poured more syrup on it. When they had eaten the soft maple candy until they could eat no more of it, then they helped themselves from the long table loaded with pumpkin pies and dried berry pies and cookies and cakes. There was a salt-rising bread, too, and cold, boiled pork, and pickles. Oh, how sour the pickles were. They all ate till they could eat no more, and then they began to dance again. But Grandma watched the syrup in the kettle. Many times she took a little of it out into a saucer and stirred it round and round. Then she shook her head and poured the syrup back into the kettle. The other room was loud and merry with the music of the fiddle and the noise of the dancing. At last, as Grandma stirred, the syrup in the saucer turned into little grains like sand, and Grandma called, Quick, girls, it's graining! Aunt Ruby and Aunt Dosia and Ma left the dance and came running. They set out pans, big pans and little pans, and as fast as Grandma filled them with the syrup, they set out more. They set the filled ones away to cool into maple syrup. Then Grandma said, now bring the patty pans for the children. There was a patty pan, or at least a broken cup or a saucer, for every little girl and boy. They all watched anxiously while Grandma ladled out the syrup. Perhaps there would not be enough. Then somebody would have to be unselfish and polite. There was just enough syrup to go around. The last scrapings of the brass kettle exactly filled the very last patty pan. Nobody was left out. The fiddling and the dancing went on and on. Laura and the other Laura stood around and watched the dancers. Then they sat down on the floor in a corner and watched. The dancing was so pretty and the music so gay that Laura knew she would never get tired of it. All the beautiful skirts went swirling by and the boots went stamping and the fiddle kept on singing gaily. Then Laura woke up and she was lying across the foot of Grandma's bed. It was morning. Ma and Grandma and baby Carrie were in the bed. Pa and Grandpa were sleeping rolled up in blankets on the floor by the fireplace. Mary was nowhere in sight. She was sleeping with Aunt Dosia and Aunt Ruby in their bed. Soon, everybody was getting up. There were pancakes and maple syrup for breakfast, and then Pa brought the horses and sled to the door. He helped Ma and Carrie in, while Grandpa picked up Mary and Uncle George picked up Laura, and they tossed them over the edge of the sled into the straw. Pa tucked in the robes around them, and Grandpa and Grandma and Uncle George stood calling, Goodbye, goodbye, as they rode away into the big woods, going home. The sun was warm, and the trotting horses threw up bits of muddy snow with their hoofs. Behind the sled, Laura could see their footprints and every footprint had gone through the thin snow into the mud. Before night, Pa said, we'll see the last of the sugar snow.